Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on Beirut Radio. Okay, we are here live on the fourth day of Hanukkah. We are uh, filming here from, or not filming, sorry, we are broadcasting here from the radio. Baruch Hashem, a new setup over here, so it's going to take me a little bit to get used to it. Okay, let's give you the four numbers first of all to the station, Bezat Hashem, we... Um, we hope to answer all the last remaining questions. We started last week, or we ended off last week talking about the last questions of the, the last few questions that we have in the um, on Hanukkah. And today, we hope to finish all the common questions that come up during Hanukkah. But before we start, before we even give you the phone numbers, I would just like to dedicate this class to three people that are sick and in need of, in need of Rahmeh Shamaim. Um, some more recent, like the the name that we said last week, Rabbi Nimni, Michael Hayim Khalifa Ben Rahel. We ask everybody to please pray for him and also for um, if my uh, have a dear friend and his wife went to um, right after labor. A young lady went to cardiac arrest, and uh, we're praying for her refuah Everybody's praying for her Hayam Riyam Bat Bracha. We ask everybody to please. Pray for those people, as well as uh, my own brother, Eliyahu Hayim Ben Shafiq Asafiyah. They should all have a speedy recovery. And if we should see Nisim Bazman Hazeh, just like we had by Yamim Mahim Bazman Hazeh, Hashem should show us things, even B'Tebaq, or Lema'alma Tebaq, if it's necessary, we should see them fully healed and back home healthy and continuing their life, the Orich Yamim, Ushnot Hayim Ba'azat Hashem. So let's give you the numbers. I'm going to give you only the text number because we do have a lot of things to speak about today and we hope to get to all of them today. Um, the phone number to the text line, if you have any questions, we'll try to present the shame. Um, if we see it, if it comes up, we'll, be, we'll try to include it into the class if it's not something that we're covering. The text number is 347-827... No, sorry. 347-927-8398. I should know that number, right? 347-927-8398. 9.8, you can text, and we have the screen right in front of us. And um, also, I want to say welcome. My son is with us today. He, we give a special shout-out to his Rebbe, Rabbi Gibbs, for who listens to this class, and for the great Chinuch, him, plus all the other Rebbeim in his yeshiva that do a tremendous, wonderful job in educating our children and giving them, teaching them more than just Torah, and Midot Tobot. Let's go and go into our class today. Okay, last few questions regarding Hanukkah. Um, they might sound like a few questions, but they're really there's a lot going on over here. Let's begin with the first question that we have over here. The first question is, how do we light when it comes to Erev Shab- Shabbat on Friday? What's the issue? Why do we have to talk about this? Well, the issue is as follows. Usually the Halakha tells us, as Manam brings down, that the best time to light is Seta Kochabim, Emakdimim, Aharin, and we saw it. Even other she taught, other Rishonim that hold you could light as early as Shekiah, as sunset. Still, when it comes to Shabbat, it's going to be a problem. Why? When it comes to Shabbat, I mean Friday, it's going to be a big problem if you light at that time. Because at that time, the same time that we're telling you to light, it's also Shabbat. And any person who puts on a fire on Shabbat is Hayamita. It's very scary. It's Sur, Deoraita. And even if you can say it's been a short karet. Either way, so it's a little complicated. When do we light on Arab Shabbat? Do we light earlier or and how does it go? So let's review something very quick that we said in the first class on Hanukkah. The earliest time to light Minhalakha, according to Halakha, is Plag Minha. Plag Minha is before sunset. This is not the time to explain when Plag Minha is. It varies based on the time of the year. If it's in the winter, it's going to be, you know, the time range of Plagamin has much shorter than it is in the summer, obviously. In any case, we light, or the earliest time that's possible to light is from Plagamin Ha. So we know that once we have that hetir, that we can light, and early in the Plagamin Ha, what are you going to tell me? The Rishonim that said you have to light by Seta Kochabim or by Shekiah, that's, as we explained in the past, that time is Lechatchilah. That is the preferred time to light. But in over here, when it's Friday, out of Shabbat, I, don't, I can't do the preferred time because the preferred time will get me to a bad place in the next world. So therefore, I'm going to have to light. I'm going to have to be somech 
on not the best time, but it's the best time for Shabbat. But that's not really the question. The real question over here is not when to light if it's before Shekha. Of course we're going to light before Shekha. The real question here is, I have two mitzvot in front of me, I have Shabbat. I have the mitzvah of lighting Nerot Shabbat, the candles of Shabbat, and I also have the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. What do we do over here? Do we light the mitzvot, the Nerot Shabbat first because of the rule of Tadir, which we explained in the past, it means any mitzvah that comes up more often has first rites, Okay, so yeah, of course, why not? The problem is, if I light the Shabbat candles first, there's a minhag that many, many people accept Shabbat when lighting the candles. So if they accept Shabbat when they light the uh, Shabbat candles, how are they going to go light the Nirat Hanukkah afterwards? So in order to avoid this issue, Shohan Aruch rules that one should first light the Nirat of Shabbat, the candles of, excuse me, one should first light the Nirat of Hanukkah, and then afterwards light the nerot of Shabbat. This way, you don't have to accept Shabbat. This way, you don't have an issue of accepting Shabbat by candlelighting. Now, for those who remember our classes on Hilchot, uh, on the Halachot of lighting Shabbat candles, we'll remember that according to the Shohan Aruch, he does not hold that there's an obligation to accept Shabbat when lighting candles. And that's the really the halakha according to the Sfaradim. So why does the Maran, why does Shohan Aruch rule over here that first one should light the Hanukkah candles and then light the Shabbat candles? You don't have to accept Shabbat, just light, the, who cares, light the Shabbat candles because of Tadir, and not Tadir, and have a mind not to accept Shabbat. And the answer is, as Aharonim explained, that although according to the strict halakha, according to the Sfaradim, one is not obligated to accept Shabbat when lighting candles. That's referring to men and women if they're lighting the Shabbat candles. Still, Shohan Ruch is teaching us though that it is preferable. It is preferable that ladies or men who are lighting Shabbat candles should accept Shabbat. Obligation? No, but it is preferable. So therefore, I, I know when I give this class in the past to, to ladies, they get shocked. I'm not telling the ladies who are accepting Shabbat by Shabbat candles not to accept Shabbat. I'm telling them that you could, if it's necessary, you could not accept Shabbat by the candles. I'm talking to Sfaradi women. I'm not talking to Ashkenazim. Ashkenazim, their minhag is to accept Shabbat by candles and it's more binding. And uh, their poskim will deal with that. Each one will ask their rav. But I will reiterate, it is certainly preferable for a woman to accept Shabbat when she lights candles. Now, in this case, when uh, we have Friday, Shabbat, uh, Friday, Arab Shabbat, we have Hanukkah, and you have to light the candles of Shabbat or the candles of Nerot Hanukkah. So if it's the same person who's lighting Nerot Shabbat, and it's the same person who's lighting Nerot Hanukkah, first you should light Nerot Hanukkah, and then Nerot Shabbat. But, but this is not obligated if you have two different people lighting. Meaning, if the wife is lighting Nerot Shabbat, and her husband is the one who's lighting all of Nerot Hanukkah, you know, the lady, the, she, the, the woman is not participating in the lighting of the other candles. So in such a case, even if the woman lights Nerot Shabbat, it doesn't bind the husband in accepting Shabbat. You know, in our house, we say, Mommy's lighting the candles and everybody knows. we might, Okay, that's it. Shabbat, we have to accept Shabbat. But it's not, it doesn't obligate really the other household members. It's preferable. Of course, it is. She also accepts Shabbat when mommy accepts it when she's lighting the candles. But it's not, obliga it's not an obligation. It doesn't bind anybody in the house, especially the husband. So when it's necessary, for example, you see Shabbat, uh, you see candle lighting time is there already and it's getting late. If a woman already lit Shabbat candles, it's fine. Even her husband didn't light the Hanukkah, the candles yet. The husband could still light the Hanukkah as long as he finishes lighting everything before Shabbat comes in. In the case where a person is rushed, and this is very possible, in the case where a person sees that he's coming back from work, he's late, he's stuck in traffic, call home and tell them to light the menorah even when you're not there. And in the case where the husband makes it home, but something comes up and whatever it is, and he has literally a minute a minute or maybe less sometimes to light the menorah candles. And this could happen. The Hanukkah candles, you know, right before Shekiah. Don't risk lighting all the extra candles and Hasbush Shalom light within Shekiah. According to the Halakha, 
strictly speaking, if you don't want to be mehadrin min mehadrin, then you light just one candle. So if a person sees that he's rushed and you know it's he's not gonna have time to light all the Hanukkah candles, if he's able to at least light one, you can make the berakha of Lalikna Hanukkah plus Shahsan Nasim, light that one candle and make sure that you're done finishing lighting it and shutting off the candle that you use to light your Hanukkah candles before Shekiah. That's very, very important. Now the post scheme bring down an important thing that the husband who's lighting the menorah should try to pray minha before lighting Hanukkah candles with the minyan. So if you have time to come home a little bit earlier on Arab Shabbat Hanukkah so you could go and pray minha first, that's preferable. But even Bidi Abad where a person already lit the menorah he lit the Hanukkah candles and he has not prayed minha, he can still pray minha. But it is preferable that he should pray beforehand avoid the problem of Tate Satre, which we cannot speak about right now. Another point when lighting your candles on night of Shabbat is that although the minimum time that the candles should last is a half an hour, and that still remains a halakha, still, a person should make sure that the half an hour should be after Tzitek Ochabim, which means since you're lighting before Shekiah, of course, after Plagim and you're lighting before sunset, put enough oil or make sure that the wax candles are long enough that they'll last a half an hour even after Tzitek Ochabim. And like with the times we gave last week, they can get very confusing all these different times. Whatever time Tzitek Ochabim you want to hold or even the later the better one. If it could go as long as possible, if we could let it go for two, three hours, that's even preferable. This way you cover a half an hour after Tzitek Ochabim of even a Benu time. But... If it's not Rabbeinu Tam, if it's other opinions that hold, whenever they hold Habim, if you have just enough candles that they, or just enough oil that they should last for half an hour after any of the opinions of Habim, but the Abad also, you could rely on that. Now, that we're speaking about the issue or about the subject of lighting Nerot, Erev Shabbat, and the Hanukkah and the Menorah on Erev Shabbat, we're going to go now into the subject of menorah on Yom Shabbat. What are the, there is an issue with the menorah on Shabbat. Now, of course, you're not going to light on Shabbat. We discussed that already. But the issue comes up on Shabbat Hanukkah with your candles is, what are you going to do now with the menorah after the candles or after the flame shuts off? When the oil finishes and the flame shuts off, now what are you going to do with the menorah? So if you have it in a place where you don't have to move it, for example, it's by your windowsill and there's no problem that the kids might knock it or something is going to break and, uh, you know, just keep it there for the whole entire Shabbat. That's wonderful. And that's really the best thing. You don't have to move it. Keep it there. But not everybody has it like that, especially if you light outside and you're lighting an expensive menorah outside, or at least you know that's expensive. People don't know that's expensive. And you want to bring it inside. Because you're worried, somebody, you're worried somebody's going to steal it, somebody's going to take it, or it might get lost, whatever it may be. and Or in the case where you have it, even if you're lighting on the inside, but you're worried that the kids might break it and something's going to happen. So now, this is going to be an issue on Shabbat. You can't just move it. Even when the flames shut off, you do not have the heter to pick up the menorah just like that, even though there's no flame on it. Kavahome, when there's a flame on it, on Shabbat, you're not allowed to move it. So what are you supposed to do now? If you want to move it now, you ask, why do you have to move it again? You have to move it, let's say, even in the shul. If you have a big shul and it's right there by the window or by the um, by the side of by the wall and nobody's moving and nobody's playing with it, that's the best again. But let's say you have a smaller shul. And in the shul, it's on one of the tables and these tables are needed for, let's say, for the classes on Shabbat and you need to move it. So what do you do now? Have to move it? No, because it's mukseh. Why is it Mukseh? There's no flame on it. And the answer is, it's Mukseh for a number of reasons. Number one is, the menorah is made that you should light a candle on it. We, let's go back to last year's classes on Hulchot Mukseh. Let's give you a little bit of a refresher. Ah, you didn't hear my classes from last year? Then go on the website, JRoot, and listen to them. They're very, very important. Mukseh is a very important subject to know for Shabbat. In any case, anything that's made... Where the perp- the main purpose of it is to do something that's asur on Shabbat, it's called the klishim nachtole isur. The menorah is made in order that you should light on it, or you should light in it, whatever you want to say. Put the cups or whatever. So therefore, being that it's made that it's a klishim nachtole isur, even if you didn't light with it on before Shabbat, it'll be klishim nachtole isur because you're not allowed to move it. It's mukseh. 
when are you allowed to move a klis machto le'isur? Le'tzorech gufo mikomo. If you need to use it, well, in this case, you can't use a minar for any other purposes that are mutar on Shabbat. So you can't move it le'tzorech gufo. Le'tzorech mikomo, but if it's in the place that you need to use, like the example that we gave, it's on the table where you need to use that table for a shi'ur, for, for learning Torah. You need to use that table to have Saudah Shalishit. You need to move, you use that spot, whatever, to put something on it. That's called Litzorech Mekomo. You're allowed to move it if it's a Klishim Nachtole Isur. But it's more complicated than that. Our men around Shabbat is more complicated than that. Because most cases, I don't want to say most, but let's say in a lot of cases, a lot of cases, the menorah that one uses for lighting his uh, Hanukkah, for, for the mitzvah of Hadlakat Nerot Hanukkah, is usually made out of silver. It's an expensive piece. Whether you spent on it, your father spent on it, or he told you that expensive. Either way, you treat it as an expensive piece. Especially if it's made out of silver, gold, or any of these uh, Hashubi metals. Okay? So now, what does that, what, so what does that mean? So <laughs> that means, it's not only Klish Mechtole, so now it goes up a level in stringency on Shabbat, and it's now considered... Mukseh Mahmat Hasron Kis. The category of Mukseh Mahmat Hasron Kis is one of the, the most stringent categories of Mukseh in, in the Chot of Mukseh. Why? Because something that's Mukseh, that qualifies as Mukseh Mahmat Hasron Kis, as we just explained by many people, it could be their menorah, cannot be moved, not let Sarah Gufo and not let Sarah Mekomo, not let Sarah Gufo or Sarah Mekomo. Even if you need the place, you can't move it. More than that, more than that, even if your menorah is not so expensive, but it being that was used out of Shabbat to light your Hanukkah candles and the flame, which is 100% Mukseh Mahmad Gufo, according to all opinions, as the Gemara says, right? So it went into Shabbat lit, the, that means the menorah went into Shabbat with the flames on it. So it has become now a basis le dabar ha'asur. If these terminologies f- sound familiar, Baruch Hashem, that means you, you did Hazar al Khod Mukseh. If you didn't, they sound strange. You know, just hold on. We're going to finish this category very soon. Anyway, so now it's Muksim, It becomes a basis that even when the flame shuts off, the menorah retains the status of the flame. And since the flame is Muksim Ahmad Gufo, so does the menorah also be, become Muksim Ahmad Gufo. So really, you're going to have an issue of moving it, even when it's necessary, just moving it like that. So according to the Ashkenazim, in a way you're stuck. There's a solution. I'll get to the solution soon. But just like that, you're stuck. The Sfaradim have a little bit more lenient in the case where the menorah, again, is not an expensive menorah, but it was used to light the Hanukkah candles on Friday and it went in the lit throughout Shabbat. What you could do is what the Shohan Aruch writes, and that is to make a condition. What's a condition? The condition is that I... Uh, I I'm not taking my mind off of the menorah. Now, even if the flames shut off, I still want to be able to move the menorah if it's necessary. So if you don't have such an expensive menorah and you did such a condition before Shabbat that when the flame shut off, you wanted to move it. So then when the flame shut off completely, you're allowed to pick up the menorah and move it if you need its place. But this again will only work if you don't have such an expensive menorah. But if you have an expensive menorah, what are you going to do now? And how you should not have the same issue because I light outside, I put my menorah outside, and I really want to take it inside when it's, once it shuts off. But on Shabbat, what am I going to do? And also for that, we cannot make a condition. What do you do? So in order to avoid all these problems, what you could do is before Shabbat, put, if your menorah is on a tray, so put on the tray something that's hashub, that's important to you. Like, let's say, if it's indoors, obviously, right? You're going to put, let's say, an expensive ring, an expensive piece of jewelry on the same tray. So now the tray becomes a found a base for your menorah, which is Mukseh Mahmat Hasonkis, and those rings, which are not Mukseh at all, it's Klish Bakhtol Heter. And on Shabbat, if you want to move the tray that has the expensive rings plus the menorah, you're allowed to move them together. This is the solution if you want to move an expensive menorah on Shabbat, and there you don't even need Letzorah Gufo or Mekomo, since the tray is a basis It's a base holding a menorah, which is asur, and the ring, which is mutar. I pick them up and move them all together. We move on now to the next question. 
Next question is, still in the of Shabbat, is it better to light early on Motzei Shabbat or for those who keep Rabbeinu Tam, wait till Rabbeinu Tam and then after Rabbeinu Tam, Motzei Shabbat Rabbeinu Tam means you waited 72 minutes after sunset, then you go home and you light. So now originally I didn't even think this was a question. I mean, you keep Rabbeinu Tam, of course Shabbat, you keep Rabbeinu Tam and you wait even on Hanukkah, even when Shabbat Hanukkah, Motzei Shabbat, you wait your 72 minutes as you usually do and then you light. That's how it was to me. But then I saw in the Sefer called Halichot Shalmon, which is authored by Rabbi Shalom Zaman Orbach, that he, personally, although he kept Motzei Shabbat Rabbeinu Tam, which means he waited Motzei Shabbat in Israel, in Yerushalayim, 72 minutes after sunset to do a melacha. However, when it came to Shabbat Hanukkah, whenever they were lighting Motzei Shabbat on Hanukkah, he would not wait the 72 minutes. He would actually end Shabbat earlier than the 72 minutes. And then... He would light the menorah earlier, and that's what he told people to do. Okay, why now? How can he do such a thing? And the answer is, if you hold that the waiting of seventy-two minutes after Shabbat is really not an obligation, just a humrah, you want to be covered by all opinions. So in this case, where Motzei Shabbat Hanukkah, he didn't want to keep this as a humrah. He didn't want to keep this stringency and lose out on lighting the menorah in an earlier preferred time. This is the opinion of Rav Shalman Orbach. However, you open up Hazon Obadiah, who disagrees with this, and he also brings in the name of Rav Moshe Feinstein and the Hazon Ish as well, Zatal, that they held that one who keeps a Tam, even the Humrah, even on Shabbat Hanukkah, Motzei Shabbat, with Hanukkah and the lighting the Menorah candles, even then wait until Motzei Shabbat, well, excuse me, wait 72 minutes till Shabbat to be over and then light your minah. You should know. Those who are going to wait 72 minutes, Mosei Shabbat, to light the minah, technically you're doing what Manan Shoharuch says. Most people are not knowing like Shoharuch to wait 72 minutes after sunset to light the minorah, to light the Hanukkah candles. But in this case, on Mosei Shabbat, where you're going to wait 72 minutes, you are technically doing even according to Shoharuch. Really, what what Shohan Ruch prefers because seventy he Maran holds seventy two minutes after Shekiah is considered Motzei Shabbat. So therefore, he holds. Yacham concludes and he says that even if you if you hold Rabbeinu Tam or the stringent or the Humrah Rabbeinu Tam as a Humrah, you don't hold it's a Din. So then you should not break your Humrah in order to light earlier Motzei Shabbat Hanukkah. However, he does say like this. If you hold the Moshe Shabbat Rabbeinu Tam as a Humrah, and your wife doesn't hold Rabbeinu Tam, your wife finishes Shabbat earlier, if you want, you could appoint your wife to light early. She doesn't have to, f- to wait for you until 72 minutes. I don't know how many people are going to listen to let the wife light without the husbands, but that's what Hamad holds. For those who want to be makpid to light earlier, and uh, you don't care to be there, you could appoint your wife if she herself doesn't keep Rabbeinu Tam, and you yourself hold that Rabbeinu Tam is only Humrah. So, and you, wanna, and you shouldn't break the Humrah on Motzei Shabbat. Next. Now, a common question that comes up is if a person lights his menorah at home, but he's invited to a Hanukkah party. A Hanukkah party, I don't know, it doesn't have to be a party with uh, you know music and everything. A Hanukkah party means people getting together already becomes, everything becomes a Hanukkah party nowadays. It's fine. Okay, Hanukkah party, in any case, a person's lighting and he's being a, he's invited to one of his friends, one of his family members, let's say to his parents, and his mother tells him, listen, light candles will come early, please. I, you know, I, I can't have you guys with all your kids so late. Come and come early. So the question is, he lights his candles. What could, does he have to stay next to the candles or could he leave leaving his candles lit? And the bigger question is, some people don't want to leave the house without anybody home with the flames on. They're scared of fires, of the possible fires, Hasbish Shalom, so they don't want any issues. So the halakha is as follows. There's no obligation, Minhaddin, to sit next to your candles for half an hour. So if you're not scared of any fires and it's really safe in your house, and make sure it's really safe about that, it's not a joke. All right? Make sure it's safe that you have tinfoil around so even if Habsa Shalom, the flame falls, it wouldn't catch fire, it's on metal. In any case, if there's no problem with fire and you're not scared to leave your menorah on, you could light and leave the house immediately. You don't have to sit next to the candles for half an hour. There's no obligation. But if you're scared to leave it on, you're not going to leave the house without it, you can't just pick up and go to your parents and shut off the candles. Then you have to actually wait 
a half an hour to allow the candles to be lit a half an hour after Tzedek Kochabim. Again, whatever your hold of Tzedek Kochabim is, and then keep it on for half an hour, and then afterwards, even though there's still a lot of oil left, as long as you lit your minimum of half an hour or so, then you could shut it off and go to where you need to go. In shuls, the same thing applies. In shuls, it's even more lenient. You don't need the 30 minutes in shul. The whole reason why we light candles in shul is in order to publicize the miracle. But who are you publicizing the miracle to in the shul? Not the people outside. You don't have to put it by the window in the shul. The opposite. In the shul, we're publicizing to the people inside the shul. So let's say those who have uh, learning at night and they light the menorah right before Arbit and after Arbit, everybody's leaving the shul. So the menorah was on only for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depends how fast your hazan is. And then they're leaving the shul. There's no reason to keep those flames on. There's nobody in the shul. There's no anyan. Okay? So therefore, you could shut off the flames right away, especially if there's a possibility of it could be a fire. You could shut off the candles right away. The deen, the, the obligation of having a minimum of half an hour only applies in a person's home, not in the shul where it's where the publicizing of the miracle is only for the members of the shul or the people who are staying in the shul. In this case, if nobody's staying in the shul, you get shut off right away. Now we move on to the next question, and that is, where does one light the Hanukkah candles when he's traveling, when he's going away from home? So now, to answer this question properly, you should know, you need to get into a subject in Halakha known as Achstinai. There's a special uh, special siman in Shohan Aruch, siman Taf Resh Ein Zayin Taraz, where Shohan Aruch discusses the dinim of Achsinai. And I would love to just answer the questions, but really, we need a little bit of background information to clarify the subject. But when we clarify the subject, Bezat Hashem, many halachot will come out of this, many questions that people ask, including some who are sending us a text. I hope you're patient till now. You'll find that Many of the questions about when people travel on Hanukkah will be answered. Included in these uh, things, in these halakhot that we're going to discuss, means once we get the clarification of this deen of a guest, we'll learn along the way about children who are studying or dorming away from house, whether it's in yeshiva or lo'alein a college, or children who are traveling away from home, or families visiting relatives for Shabbat, people who go away to hotel, and even, unfortunately, even cases where we got cases of separated couples, right? Where husband and wife are living temporary. Then there's no, they didn't get divorced yet, but they're living separately. Okay, we're going to discuss them, Razat Hashem, afterwards. First, we want to discuss the concept and give a little bit of a background of the Deen of Achsinai. As a disclaimer, I want to tell you that the laws of when people travel away, the laws of Achsinai, as we're discussing them right now, are very complicated. Personally, I think these are the hardest halakhot in all of the Chot Hanukkah. And that's why I, I want to clarify first, to the best of my opinion, to the best of my, excuse me, my understanding, not my opinion. <laughs> I'm avoiding, there's no opinion here. The best of my understanding from the halakha. We're going to begin very basic, and then Bazat Hashem will go step by step. In order not to make it so confusing, we'll try to give basic halakhot, and then any case which is applicable to the halakhot that we discussed so far, we'll bring it in, explain it, and that will answer those questions along the way. Let's start with the basic rules of guest, which is known in halakha as achsenai. Okay? Strictly speaking, start with the beginning. Halakha tells us, ner ish ubeto. The obligation on Hanukkah is to have one candle for ish ubeto. For a person and his whole household. It's not one candle per person. It's one candle for the whole entire household. This is not only on the first night. This is true every single night. And this is not only for Sfaradim. This is for Sfaradim, Ashkenazim, anybody who's Jewish and part of our religion, this halakha applies to him. So all these uh, politicians are lying menorah, not for them, for us. One candle each single night covers us and it's sufficient, but not just the person who's lighting, but for his whole entire family. Ah, we light every night a different amount of number, you know, per night. Mean to say three candles on the third night and four on the fourth night and five and so on and so forth. And by the Ashkenazim, each person lights a menorah. True. 
I'm not telling you not to do that, but the reason why we do that, that's called the Hiddur Mitzvah. It's not the Ikaradin. It's not the uh, basic of the Halakha. We, to beautify the Mitzvah, as we do by all other Mitzvot, we want to do it high quality, HL, all right? So in that case, so what we do is, we, you know, by the Eskenazim, each one lights his own menorah, but it's Faradim, we light, you know, per number of nine. But according to, strictly speaking, halakhically speaking, just strict halakha, one candle for the whole entire household is sufficient. Okay, next. What is the definition of ubeto? What qualifies for a person to be ubeto? You know, when you sign up with T-Mobile, I think they have a family plan. So what's called a family member? Do you have to live in the same house? And what about insurance? You know, when you when you have insurance, so it covers the whole family. So what's called a family member? Who's covered by the family insurance? And same thing over here, when the halakha says, you're covered under the Ishu Beto policy of Hanukkah, right? Who is included in the Beto? What's called your household? Does that include the, let's say you have a, a Jewish housekeeper that sleeps by you, that's called the Beto. Let's say you have a family, you know, your kids are above Bar Mitzvah, younger than Bar Mitzvah. What's called Ubeto? Good? The answer is, we find in Halakha the, term, the following terminology. Whoever is Samuch al-Shulhan bal If you translate this literally, it means whoever relies upon the table of the owner. Confusing, right? Yeah, I know. This actually, believe it or not, is a very... Usually we, we have a definition for this, but when it comes to Hanukkah, when seeing all the different examples of what's considered Samukh Shahan Beto, the more I saw, the more confusing this because I'm trying to figure out a terminology that everybody will, will agree upon it. And in all cases, everybody will agree, this is called Samukh Shahan Beto. I did not find it. Or at least, I did not find a way to express it that everybody will agree that this is the definition in all cases. In general, the best of my understanding is like this. What, what's considered, when are you considered part of that family? That is, if that is your primary residence. That's where you usually live. That, that's where you usually live. This doesn't mean you have to be living there all the time. Even in our own houses, when I'm the Balabite and I'm paying for the rent and I'm paying for the, all the bills in the house and I'm paying for all the members of my household, not always am I home all the time. Right? I sometimes travel out of the house. But nobody will disagree that my primary residence is where I live with my wife and children. So now the children also, even though sometimes they may travel away from home, nobody's going to disagree that their primary residence is where they usually live throughout the year. Even if they may travel for a week, two, or even a few months, or even sometimes an extended, I don't say vacation, but they have a, a business trip or something else. So let's define right now that Samukha Shohano is where you consider that by that house your primary residence, then you're called Samukha Shohano. Not that you just sleep there, by the way. It's not only just sleeping there. It's that you also partake of all the events in the house. Meaning to say all, all the bills are paid for, pretty much. You don't have to pay for anything. You consider part of the family. Now, in each case, we'll try to clarify as we get to. I know the definition is not so clear so much, but Samukh Ashurham Beto, it considers you part of the house. According to the Halakha, when one candle is lit by the Balabai, the, that means in your primary residence, that covers every single person that's part of the family plan. Like we said, anybody who's Samukh Ashurham Balabai, when the Balabai himself, the owner of the household, lights that candle, remember, Strictly speaking, just one candle, everybody else is covered. Again, this applies to Ashkenazim and Sfaradim Ma'ikaradim. So now let's apply it over here to one of the cases or one of the questions that usually comes up. You have children. Let's make up a family. Mishpahat Kohen. A Kohen. This Kohen is Ashkenazim, this Kohen is Sfaradim. So now one of the Kohen children, Avraham Kohen, he goes, travels out of the house on Hanukkah. Strictly speaking, according to Halakha, since Avraham Kohen his primary residence is with his father, right? With the Cohen family. Even though right now he's away from home. No matter for what reason he's away from home. He's traveling on a vacation or, or he's studying away in a dormitory. But his primary residence, nobody's going to disagree, is back, let's say he lives in Brooklyn, back home in Brooklyn with his family, with his parents. And the proof is 
that for whatever reason, even if he's studying away in yeshiva, and let's say he gets sick, what's he, what's he going to do? Is he going back home? Or let's say he gets kicked out of yeshiva, where is he going to go? He's going to go back home. He's going to go back to his primary residence. So you see his primary residence is where? With his family. True, he's living maybe majority of the year away. He's eating away from home. But again, his primary residence doesn't have to be a place where he actually spends most of the time. Even our primary residence, where we all live, think of the men who are listening to this or ladies who are listening to this, think about your husbands. Most of the time, they're not home. Most of the time, the men are working or in shul learning and praying. Yes, they get home, they sleep for a few hours and they're up again and they're out. So you don't spend most of the time at home, really. But still, nobody's going to disagree that that's called your bayit. That's your primary residence. So therefore, my karadin, children who are away from home, but they still consider their home as their primary residence, one candle that's lit by the household leader, which we know in halakha as balabayit, exempts them. And the patur. Yes, Sfaradim and Ashkenazim, Ma'ikaradim. The question is now, for those that are children away, let's say they're studying away in yeshiva, and their home is in Brooklyn, and the yeshiva is away, let's say, in Lakewood. So if they want to light on their own, could they light on their own? Yes, but... So listen, one second. Yes, they could light Sfaradim or Ashkenazim, but there's a difference if they are Ashkenazi or Sfaradi. For the Ashkenazim, even if they're home in Brooklyn, as long as they're above the age of Bar Mitzvah, they light with the Beracha anyway. Because that's how they fulfill the Mehadrin min Mehadrin that says in the Gemara. So therefore, if they're away in Yeshiva and Lakewood and their home is in Brooklyn, it doesn't make a difference. They're going to light with the Beracha also because they would do the same also in Brooklyn. But for Sfaradim, it's not the same. For the Sfaradim that are studying away from home, even had they been home, they're exempt with the lighting that their father lights for them or that their family is lighting for them. So now even when they travel, when they're studying abroad, or they try, not doesn't have to be abroad, but away from home, once, they, once their family lights, they're automatically covered. If they want to light on their own, they could light, but without a beracha. Nothing wrong with lighting. You can light. But there's, you cannot make a beracha because you're technically exempt with your family. Okay. Now, the following, up to now, we just said halakha according to both Sfaradim and Ashkenazim. The kids who, are, who travel away from the house during Hanukkah, even if it's just for a few days during Hanukkah, or the entire Hanukkah, or even the entire year where they're living somewhere else, but they consider their home as their primary residence, they're technically allowed, they're, they're technically covered by the family, by their families back home. If they want to light where they are, according to the Sfaradim, they could light without a beracha, according to Ashkenazim, they light with a beracha. Now the following will only focus on the Sfaradim. Question comes up for the Sfaradim who cannot light with a beracha. But they can light, but they cannot light with a beracha. Would this halakha apply if a family member is studying overseas and there's a different time zone? And therefore, the time that his parents are lighting, it's not the time that well, excuse me, when the time comes for him to light candles, it's not the same time that his parents are lighting. So, here there's actually a mahlokit amongst the Sfaradim themselves. According to Acham Abadiyah, and that's also the opinion of Rav Shlomo Zaman Obach, according to the Sfaradim. He says the Sfaradim have the same opinion. Even in different time zones, that means even if the boy is from Brooklyn and he's studying in yeshiva in Israel, his parents who light him, and by the way, in Israel, it's seven hours ahead. So when it's night, when there's man, when the time comes for them to light over there in Israel, our time didn't come yet. It doesn't make a difference. In Brooklyn, when the time comes for the family to light, in Israel, even though he didn't light yet and it's way late into the night, he's covered automatically by, his, by the lighting that his family does here in Brooklyn. That's the opinion of Hakam Abadiah and Rav Shlomo Zalman's Orbach Zatzal. However, Hakam ben Zion has a hadush. Hakam ben Zion says, this halakha that we said that, you're, that as a yeshiva student, you're covered by your family for a sfaradi, this only applies to a yeshiva that's within the same time zone as where your family lives. For example, your primary residence in Brooklyn and you're studying in yeshiva in Lakewood or, uh, I don't know, in Miami, somewhere else, somewhere like that. But if it's two different time zones, according to Achamam ben Siyon, the children have not, not only could light, they have to light with the beracha. So he says, if a child is studying in Israel and his family lives in Brooklyn, he should light in Israel with the beracha. 
Acham Abariya disagrees. But even Acham Betzion will tell you that you should have Lechatchila in mind not to be the boy who's studying overseas, not to be covered by your family back in Brooklyn. Now, who are we going to rule like? So, usually we tell you, Safik Bachot Lehakil. You want a light, light, but without a Beracha. Or if you have your own rabbi to ask, bring this up to him and see what he tells you who to rule like. Hakam Abariya does add one point, and he says like this. If you are in a different time zone, where the family member is in a different time zone, and he knows that when he is coming to light, there's no way possible that his family is going to light back home. For example, he traveled from Brooklyn to Israel, whether he's studying in yeshiva there, or even if he's traveling for vacation, and he's there for Hanukkah. Now, when it's time to light in Israel, let's say it's 5 o'clock, it's 7 hours before over here. It's going to be like 10 o'clock over here. There's no way we're lighting Hanukkah candles right now. So Hakamadiyah says, you could choose, even though your family member, technically you could have been covered by your family back in Brooklyn, you could choose not to be Yotze, not to be covered by your family in Brooklyn, and to light on your own with Eberacha. Again, for these halachot, how to do it, Lema'aseh, we're just suggesting you that, we're presenting to you the opinions. One should always double check with his own family rabbi to see practically how to apply these halakha. Now, based on what we just said, we can now apply it to other cases. Let's go and apply it to other cases where the same halakha would apply. Let's say it's not the child who's studying away from home. Let's say now the husband goes away from the house. He's, he's a family member, right? So when his wife lights in the house also, it covers the husband even on his business trip somewhere else. He could technically be covered by his wife's lighting over here, Ma'ikar Hadin. If he wants to be Mahmir, if he wants to not be covered by the family, by his family at home, and his time of lighting candles is before his family at home. For example, the husband had to travel away to China. And now that he is in China, it's 12 hours before his family is lighting in Brooklyn. He could have in mind, I don't want to be Yotse with my family in Brooklyn and light in China with a Beracha. It's an obligation. You could just have that in mind. It's not, and you, you know, you could do it. Only if you have a mind not to be Yotzei Dehoba, you could do it even with the Beracha. But Ma'ikaradin, he's really covered by his family. Another case where this comes up, if a person's wife is giving birth in the hospital, she's also Yotzei with his lighting back home. Doesn't have to light also for her in the hospital. It's a family member that's away. Children who are part of their family and they're going away for a vacation, it also covers them. Now, we move on to the next case, and that is, when the whole entire family picks up and moves their residence. So they usually live in Brooklyn. Now they decide to go away for Shabbat, either to go away for Shabbat or to go away for Hanukkah. Looking at the time, I'm going to try to speed up a little bit in the halakha. So now, in order to understand this halakha, we have to introduce another type of achsenai, another type of guest. Up to now, we spoke about a guest that travels out of his house, but he has people who are lighting for him. That means he belongs to a family. So we said he's covered. But here the whole entire family is picking up. Nobody's lighting for them back home. So, in this case, in this case, the halakha tells us that if they travel to somewhere else, the halakha says, Mishtatef bepruta. A person has to partner up where he's staying. Now, this is not easy to, it's not to be understood in a simple sense. I wish I had more time to explain. We don't. So, I'm just going to Go straight to the point because we want to cover all the cases before we finish Hanukkah, right? We can't talk about this next week. So, um, yeah. So the halakha is as follows. If you're going as a family together with your wife and kids to another family and you're being hosted by the other family, they're feeding you, they're giving you a place to sleep, everything. They're giving you everything. I'm talking about Sfaradim only, by the way. You don't have to join them technically. Because since they're providing you with food, shelter, drinks, TLC, they're providing you with everything that you need, then you're part of the family. What do we say? If you're part of the family, there's one lighting for everybody. So the family that's visiting has no personal obligation. They become members of the new family. Example, the Cohen family is traveling to their in-laws, the Levy family. So the Cohen family is now sleeping by the Levies. 
they're given, they're eating from the same food. They're given everything. They're provided with everything they need. They're not paying for anything. They become members of the Levi family for that night that they're staying. So therefore, when the Levi family is lighting, it covers the entire Cohen family. It is preferable that when the Levi family is lighting, the Cohen family should stand next to it. That means the visiting family should stand next to the host family when they're lighting the candles. Now, when two families travel to a place, and this is how it's going to apply practical, when two families travel to a place together, for example, let's say the Cohen brothers, right? Avram Cohen and his family plus Yitzchak Cohen and his family are both traveling and they're renting a suite together. You know, sometimes they find a good deal or a big house together in Florida and they both went there. Now, they're sharing expenses. Not, there's not, you know, Avram is not paying for his brother Yitzchak's family and Yitzchak is not paying for Avram's family. They pull the money together. Each one technically is paying, you know, covering a certain amount. In that case, although they share the same house, but they both have an obligation and Hazal made it Lean easier for them is that they could partner up together and share in the lighting of the menorah. Meaning to say they both have to light only one menorah, but they both have to have ownership in it. And that could happen either by each person paying a certain amount to cover the expenses of the Hanukkah candles, or one person could buy could bring the Hanukkah candles and the oil and everything else and give his other, in this case, his brother, a share in the oil, so this way they both are covered in the lining of the menorah. But again, only menorah is lit for both cases, for both families. So let's review very quickly. When a family is visiting, going away from their house, and they go and eating and sleeping somewhere else, they ha- they become part of that host family, and they're covered. But if they're traveling where they are paying for their expenses, for example, where two families are paying for a hotel room or a hotel suite together, in that case, all, since they're sharing the same house, they both have an obligation, but they are, you'll say, with one lighting, as long as they partner, partner up either in money or any other case that they could partner up. Now, question that comes up is, what about when families are going away for Shabbat and they're going to be spending basically two nights away from home? Friday night and Le Shabbat. But most people are t- coming back once Shabbat. So let's talk about all these cases. When leaving your house and going away for Shabbat and you're staying by a host family, that means you're going to your parents or you're going to your in-laws. It's like this. So if you live like locally, you're a few blocks away from your family. So really, you have the obligation and you're probably leaving after Plaga Manha. That means let's say Plaga Manha is uh, 25 minutes or 20 minutes before Shekiah. And let's say Shekiah is 4.30. So you're leaving at 4.10. So if you're leaving after 4.10, since you're in your primary residence, after the time where you're supposed to light, you really have the obligation to light in your home and then go to your parents. Now, if you're scared to keep the candles on, you're scared of a fire and there's real, you know, if it's real or not, that's what's in your head. You're really scared of it. And they're not going to let you light in your house. Your wife is not going to let you light at home and keep the candles on. So in that case, okay, you have no other choice. You're going to light by your parents. But in such a case, you should do what's preferable, and that is go to your parents before Plaga Manha. So this way, when the time comes to light the candles on Arab Shabbat, which is Plaga Manha, you're ready by your host where you're going to spend the night, and that should be the place where you're going to light. Fine. Next. What about Motza'i Shabbat? So now Motza'i Shabbat, it goes like this. If you're staying by your parents or your in-laws on Motzei Shabbat, so you're going to light by them because you're sleeping there anyway. So that is your residence for that night. You're the Aksanai there. If you're planning to come back home on Motzei Shabbat, that's when the real question comes up. Where do you light? Do I wait till I get home or should I light right now because my parents are lighting right now? So really, it depends. If you're like leaving soon right after Shabbat, where you're gonna, by the time you get home, it's still like, you know, early enough that people are still in the street. I don't want to give it the exact time. But somehow, sometime between, maybe I would say between an hour to about two, three hours after Shabbat, you're going to get home between an hour, two, three hours after Shabbat. According to Acham Abadiyah, or Letzion, even Peskechua brings the name of Hobat Adar, the obligation should be where your primary residence is, where you're going to come back. That means you're from Brooklyn, you're visiting your family in Lakewood, your parents in Lakewood or your parents-in-law in Lakewood. 
And then you're coming back Motzei Shabbat. And if you're leaving right away, by the time you get home, it's going to be within an hour or two or three hours even of coming back home. But it's still early enough. People are still out in the street. You should wait till you get home and light. However, if you're really coming back very late, that means you're not leaving Lakewood to come back to Brooklyn until like three hours afterwards. And maybe then you're going to stop packing and then get the kids and get them pajamas. And by the time you get home, it's going to be very late at night, like 12, 1 a.m. Then in that case it's preferable that you light where you are, which is being yotze together with your in-laws, stand next to them when they light, and have Kavanah to be yotze with them. And according to Hametzion, better to even have them love it, have a meal with them, hopefully they'll feed you. Have a meal with them, and then you yotze that way. Would it be preferable to go back home and light again? Yes, but don't do it with a beracha. Do it without a beracha, since technically you could have been yotze back where you lit. Now, for those who are leaving right after Shabbat and they want to light with their host where they were by, you should know, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rav Shomazaman Orbach, hold that since they're there at the time of the obligation of lighting on Motzei Shabbat, so Rav, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky and Rav Shomazaman Orbach and Matis, so those who want to go that way, the Sfaradim, who are being Yotzei Dehobah, with their host, even though they plan to leave on um, Motzei Shabbat, even though they plan to leave right away, yes, but it seems to be the other post scheme are stronger to say, uh, strong in saying they should wait to light until you get home. Now, I'm looking at the time; it's very, very short. I'm going to give you the phone number over here to the studio: seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Call us if you have any questions; we'll answer you off the air. We'll just end off with one last, unfortunately. Um, very practical question that comes up all the that comes up a lot. It came up this year at least. And that is Lo Alenu, we have a couple that's separated. You have a husband and wife, Abraham and Sarah, and they have children. Ruben Saki Ruben who do they have? Children Ruben Shimon Levi, okay. They have three kids and they're separated. Now, there's no there's no divorce yet, but they're you know they're trying to see if they they could work it out. Sarah says, Abraham, get out of my house. Abraham gets out of the house and now he's living on his own. Do we say, since he's still married, the get wasn't given, and really he's Yotzei Dehoba when Sarah lights with her kids? Or do we say, no, listen, the guy's living on his own. He's not living in the house anymore. He has his own apartment. And the answer is, we don't apply the rule of Yotzei over here. Um, even though he didn't give her a get, even though they're working on trying to fix the problem, and therefore, Abraham, who's living on his own, the father who's living on his own in his own apartment, even though he didn't give the get yet, he has his own obligation to lie. He's not Yotzei Dehobah with his wife. This applies even the father is not a deadbeat dad, you know, which means he's paying his bills. He's still paying for the rent of his wife and he's paying for the kids and everything. Still, that is considered separated. They're not living together anymore. He's paying because he has to pay either according to the Ketubah or according to the Halakha or, you know, he has obligations towards his family still. So that's why he's paying but really, he's not considered, he, neither one's considered samuch. He's really considered living on his own, and he has his own obligation to light. Okay, Rabotai, we'll end off with a positive note, Be'ezat Hashem. It's Hanukkah. It's, a, it's a, the holiday of Nisim, Be'ezat Hashem. We should see many miracles, the Yeshua, the complete salvation in our days. And again, we wish, we, we pray all together for Rifu'a Shalema, for Michael Hayim Khalife Ben Rahel. Plus, Hayam Riyam Bat Beracha and Eliyahu Hayim Bishafika Sophia. Majat Hashem, we should hear Besrotovot. We'll see you next week. Until then, have a wonderful week and a Shabbat Shalom. The class will be aired on again tonight at 10 o'clock.